through the wall of your ship walks this adorable fox-sized creature with big blue fur all over its body, giant eyes with red irises, a quivering little lip on its snout, big ears, and three bushy tails that are all wagging. They're wearing a collar that has a little dangly tag coming from it that jingles as they walk over to you. You see one of your companions reach out to pet this thing. And as your companion does, suddenly the creature becomes translucent and their hand passes right through it. Hello and welcome to the season two finale of Making a Monster. This is the 27th monster I've explored on the show, and I don't think I could have chosen a better monster game or guest with which to park the show for its summer break. James Intracasso is a titan of the RPG industry. He's a tabletop role-playing game designer who works with Wizards of the Coast on Dungeons & Dragons, Roll20, Kobold Press, and other awesome publishers. He also happens to be very generous with his time and goodwill toward projects like mine. It's really cool. I love the idea <laughs> and the concept yeah. behind it and everything, so I'm very well, glad thanks. that you started it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, my name is James Intricasso, and I have he, him pronouns. I was a freelance television producer, so I was doing game design and television on either side of a scale, if you can picture it that way. And I very slowly managed to shift more and more of my work <laughs> into game design, and now I do game design full-time, and I'll work with MCDM, which is Matt Colville's production company. Uh, oh, great full-time starting in february so so yeah so congratulations will... thank you thank you so much i appreciate that so yeah yeah i am a full-time game designer now and it is it is great i really love it and i'm always out there looking for like the weird stuff and that's one of the reasons i wanted to make sure that we had a chance to chat because of burn bright oh thank you thank you i appreciate the, <laughs> the weird because that's what we're bringing with burn bright for sure so thank you uh-huh <laughs> I have to say, I really appreciate you giving me access to the game before this interview, because I don't think I would have been really equipped to handle all of the nuances <laughs> without the couple hours I spent going through some of the setting and the character creation process before this interview. We need to talk about what Burn Bright is and what makes oh, it unique. Sure, sure. First of all, what is the event that the game is named for? Right. So in Burn Bright, which is a science fantasy role-playing game, right, takes place in the Alaxis galaxy, a bright, B-R-Y-T-E, is an age. So in the history of this galaxy, there was an exploration bright where people were exploring things. There was a war bright where a bunch of planets were at war with each other and stuff like that. The burn bright is defined by the burn, which is this phenomenon that has showed up and surrounded the galaxy on all sides, top and bottom. And it is slowly and erratically closing in. And anything that touches the burn that passes through it is never seen or heard from again. Planets, people, spaceships, whatever. It goes beyond this sort of orange northern lightsy looking phenomenon that no one can see past and this thing is constricting the galaxy and people are panicked because they don't know uh where it came from what it is or how to stop it you did write that the burn has partially swallowed some planets so it's possible to be in contact with the burn and not dead right what happens to a planet or a person in that situation that's a great question so you have to pass 
through the burn or the burn needs to pass over you for you to be what we call consumed that, that never seen or heard from again when planets right because the orbit of a planet could bring it by the burn but then have it not be swallowed so when that sort of thing happens we actually have a table of random effects in the book um so weird <laughs> this is an rpg yes of course of course so weird almost magical things happen and i i mean magic in sort of the dark and sinister way right all of a sudden your planet can become crystalline a weather phenomenon can happen on your planet that turns everybody who lives in your planet into a zombie that can fly through space basically and infect (laughs) other people uh it can turn an entire planet into gas or an entire gas planet into solid that kind of thing so there are these weird and and strange effects that happen in there and i should mention the other thing about the burn is that it's because it's slow we still have time left. There's still going to be some generations of people before the burn consumes the entire galaxy. So it's not a galaxy without hope. I I think when we think about apocalyptic stories and post-apocalyptic stories, it's all about like, what are the lengths you'll go to to survive? You'll lose your humanity. And this is more about you play characters who say, no, just because things are bad, just because the world is ending is no reason for me to give up being kind and give up standing up for what is right and so it it really is a hopeful game uh, from that perspective yeah and i think you've dipped into science fantasy with that and i would also like to say that early science fiction was far more hopeful than the science fiction listeners might be familiar with now so i really appreciate that you've brought that back to the genre Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That was a big thing. The design team we we talked about from the very beginning, this idea of like preserving hope. And it's something that Kat and Darcy were really vocal about. And it was like, yeah, that's a great idea because it's such a for this time, a fresh take. That's Kat Cool and Darcy Ross, designers of Burn Bright. And and don't get me wrong. I'll get down with some post-apocalyptic, <laughs> you need to eat your best friend kind of role playing. <laughs> uh, but for Burn Bright, it was definitely the right decision. And I'm so glad that I was working on and promoting a game about hope in the past year. So, you know, given all of the world events that are are going on and, and the pandemic and everything else, it was great to be able to say, here is something that I hope will distract you and fill you with hope. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And because we're in that space of conversation, I'll, I'll go ahead and date the interview. This is January 9th, 2021. And uh, some stuff happened this weekend. Yeah. Can you believe we're only a week into 2021? <laughs> uh, it's not the calendar's fault. <laughs> it's not. But when I, yeah, when I started making a monster, I had no idea that the term or the word monster would be so difficult to define and so difficult to use. I've noticed over the past six months of doing the show and putting it together that monster is usually the word that we put on maps when we don't know what's there. It's the word that we assign to the unknown or the other or the stranger or the thing that we fear, which if my podcast can bring anything to the world right now, it's a better attitude toward the other. All of which is to ask a monster in the terms of tabletop role-playing games can be a lot of things. D&D has a very broad definition of what a monster makes. It's anything with a stat block, anything you can interact with. In Burn Bright, how do you use the word monster? Or do you? Or what would you consider a monster in your game? 
<laughs> it's funny because we don't mechanically, I believe we never use the word monster. We call our, our bestiary the NPCs section because <laughs> I'm kind of of the opinion that like anything that isn't a player character that is alive and is not a plant or an amoeba or whatever, an animal, a creature is an NPC. And so we use creature a lot because I do think creature is more neutral and also evokes a science fantasy sort of Jim Henson-y type feel, right? <laughs> and again, that was, that was an intentional design team decision. That being said, I do think that monster can be fun. I grew up on Sesame Street, so the word monster to me can also mean <laughs> yeah. Grover, who, I mean, who doesn't love a super Grover, right? That man's a hero. So I don't necessarily think that monster needs to be a bad term, but I understand it. It comes with a lot of baggage, I think, because typically monster means evil thing we need to kill or very othered thing that we need to kill. So yeah, we don't necessarily have monsters in that sense, but in the RPG sense, if you wanted to call the burn bite creatures monsters, I think that's okay too, because they can be lovable and cute and and furry like Grover. That being said, is there anything I need to understand about burn bright before we can talk about the NPCs section? Yeah, so I think the first thing to understand about Burnbright is by some definitions of the word monster, everything in Burnbright is a monster. <laughs> um, uh, so there's no humans in it, right? You play in Burnbright as a player at one of eight species of what we as humans would consider aliens that have superpowers based on their anatomy and physiology. Those things are weird and wonderful. So everything from you can play a sapient mech suit to a swarm of telepathic bugs you play the swarm that thinks with a hive mind and moves around and stuff to and this is probably the most quote-unquote monstrous of the species that we have a giant slug that can enter and puppet corpses called the zavoy and those are the player characters that we're talking about <laughs> so if you uh, haven't if you can't tell by now this game is Buck wild. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And people have a lot of fun usually going into this. And the reason we didn't have any humans is because, one, it's mechanically, it's kind of hard to design if it's like a system for superpowered species and superpower meaning powered compared to humans. Well, then you probably don't want humans in there. But yeah, two, there's a lot of, ben, there's a bit of Ben 10 in the DNA here. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Thank you. I, I never really thought about that, but I'm going to use that from now on. Um, <laughs> right. But then the other thing is, it's very easy in games where there are humans, and not all games that have humans do this, but it's very easy for species, ancestries, whatever you want to call it, become very monolithic when you have humans. Because humans are the adaptable ones who are have a range of different personalities and interests and uh, are quick learners, right? And when you remove humans, everything has the possibility of being human then. Everything has humanity. Everything has that diversity among its different people within the species. And so that is why we chose that decision. It was like, yeah, we can create this lore and talk about like, this is what their home world and home culture is like. But by the way, part of character creation is you build your own culture. And people have been traveling all over the galaxy for hundreds of years. You might come from like, uh, essentially, a place that's like New York City. And be in this very diverse place full of all different kinds of culture and your own that you are part of that isn't part of your homeworld culture, right? And so we wanted to have that feel to it. So that's kind of like 
one good thing to understand about all of the different species in Burnbright, and then that there are a lot of wild other what we would call sapient species, right? The humanoid-esque kind of people that you cannot play at the current time. There are also then other sort of constructs and animal-like creatures, right? Things that are more mystical. We just released a, a new creature pack called the Galactic Grimoire that has more creatures that get even weirder, like those space zombies I was talking about that you can add to your game. So yeah, so there's a lot of things. I would say when it comes to creature variety, we aim to let you believe we don't have as many creatures as D&D does yet, but we want you to think like, the sky is the limit when it comes to creatures because alien worlds, magic, yeah. And we one thing we do is we provide a few stat blocks that can be easily modified. So like we have like a generic animal stat block that you can pull abilities onto to make your own animals for because there's so many worlds in Burn Bright, there's got to be billions of animal species, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and we're a half hour in, and we're about to get to the main oh, thrust of the podcast. Sorry, I'm talking way too much. <laughs> no, no, honestly, this is about par for the course, especially for a game that isn't Dungeons & Dragons, where we have to lay a lot of groundwork. Is there a single one that stands out as your favorite? Yes, there is. <laughs> and it is the blip. The blip is, I guess, what we would call like a cute creature or a, a cute monster they are they sort of look like a almost like a pokemon they're like a <laughs> fennec fox that have these three bushy tails and they can be bright blue or green or red or that sort of thing and they're about the size of a, a small fox too so picture this adorable dog with these three fluffy tails and what i really love about them is that they can phase through solid objects and so they can they can be hard to get right they're found all over the universe and people desire having a blip as a pet because when you hold a blip you also gain the ability to phase through things and so having a blip gives you a superpower and a super cute best friend uh, the problem is uh blips are not easy animals to raise they look like these cuddly dogs and stuff but I don't know if you've ever seen people like try to keep foxes. My wife follows a ton of foxes on Instagram, like rescued foxes. They are a nightmare. They like never want to do what's what they're told. They bite you. They don't like to be held, that kind of thing. And so that's sort of the fun of a blip is like, I mean, you can hold on to a blip if you want to and, and try to run through a solid object. But if you treat that blip poorly, even by accident, hug them a little too tight as you're running through that wall they'll jump out of your grasp and leave you stranded in a wall and so uh so that's sort of the the fun behind blips and there have been a couple live streamed games that i've seen and every game practically puts a blip into the story some point because uh it's a lot of fun to have their cute creature the players like as soon as they see the art they're like oh yeah i wanted this baby and then you know you also have the chance to to let a player get stuck in a wall <laughs> <laughs> what a gift you've given exactly. that is aggressively exactly. cute <laughs> oh good, good. Cuteness. 
<laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things in Burn Bright that can kill you too. So I don't want, you know, but we, we've got plenty of plenty of monsters. Um, in the Galactic Grimoire, there's space spiders that like to suck the magic juice out of your spaceship, and there are uh, giant lizard people that have been chased by the burn from another galaxy into Alexis. So you know, we got lots of fun going on as well as as far as uh, that goes. But the blip just has a place really, really close to my heart, and it turned out to be adorable the art was perfect and the the stories people tell with it are so fun so now we get into some of the hard work some of the heavy lifting of the podcast when you were putting this together from a visual perspective or from a mechanics perspective what were some of the influences that you can point to i have one of my own in mind Uh, i want to see what you say (laughs) Ah, gotcha. Yeah. So for me, I I think a a big thing that influenced me that I really like creatures that can phase through walls. I think they make very interesting encounters. So from a mechanics perspective, things like the D&D Wraith and Spectre and other incorporeal creatures was really cool. And I wanted a way to give that to characters. But It also felt like a power that was too powerful to have all the time. And so it was like, well, maybe an item. Well, you know, an item like they can just use all the time then. That's kind of like. And so this is where this came up with. Obviously, like Kitty Pride from the X-Men is a big influence as far as the power set goes. Then as far as the as far as the look goes in Burn Bright, I was sort of we don't have a lot of like conventionally cute creatures or we didn't when we were making this we did end up with a lot of conventionally cute creatures but we didn't when we were making this the blip and and so i was like well what is sort of cute and so the look is a little i would say like vulpix based uh, a little ev based from from pokemon is sort of where that that net it out did i hit on any of your influences a couple indirectly the vulpix of course based on the japanese legend of the kitsune yes which is like you know fan favorite if we're talking about pokemon those are also aggressively aggressively cute they've almost weaponized cute. every pokemon has giant eyes a chubby face unless it's <laughs> supposed to be mean all these things that like we're programmed to respond to as cuteness but the other thing that that is a big flashing neon sign is in my head is the blink dog ah yes so that actually good good point yeah there is definitely some blink dog dna in the blip and I love blink dogs. I actually, there's a D&D book that I wrote a, a three-legged blink dog into and and it got cut from the book because the whole section got cut. And I'm so sad because I was like, oh, I just want you to hang out with this blink dog. And, uh, but yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, uh, yes, the blink dog very much kind of runs through everything I do because they're one of my favorite creatures of all time (laughs) (laughs) got it so in terms of game mechanics and i guess this might be relative what are some of the mechanics that you've given to the blip from within burn bright system that that might hard code some of what it does into the way the mechanics function yeah so the big thing is that group phase ability right so the blip can phase through solid objects and any creature touching it can also phase through objects, but they have to stay in contact with the blip while they do so. And if you are inside a solid object and you lose contact with the blip, you become shunted out of that object and you take damage. And the place you go, right? So let's say you're moving through a 
a wall in a spaceship to go from one room to the next. The GM decides where you end up next to the object you're shunted out. So that could mean you could end up in space, depending on where you are and, and where the object is, right? And so that's probably the the biggest thing that the blip really gets that is uh, built into the mechanics of Burn Bright. Burn Bright is meant to be played on a map because we use Roll20, right? It's built, optimized for Roll20. You can play it at the table, like physically, if you want to. Still need Roll20 to access the rules. And so so we use a lot of maps because of that, because Roll20 has a big strength with maps. So that's the big thing that they get. And then otherwise, their statistics are, are that of kind of like a small fox. You know, they have a bite ability. They're pretty agile, but, you know, they're not any more sort of intelligent or aware than an animal like a a dog or a fox would be. Right. And this is where we would, I don't know if we have time to get into this, but maybe in brief. Let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) Um, I I can be late. It's fine. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So, you know, D&D has its couple of signature stats, alignment, three mental, three physical stats, and then hit points. Are there corollaries to those in Roll20 or or would it be closer to like a a Monster of the Week where you have sort of a harm track? Oh, sure. So you have three health levels to start with your character and you can get more. So the way health levels work are, I would say it's more like the Monster of the Week harm track. Most attacks deal one damage. And so when you get hit, you take one damage. And when you are reduced to zero, you gain a condition, a negative condition, right? And we didn't name conditions because... There's so many things that can affect you. So we just said, this is what they do if you're affected by a condition. It affects one of your skills. It's a skill-based game like Fate. And so it makes your your skill rolls harder when you are suffering from a negative condition. And when you have a positive condition, your skill rolls are easier. And then once you have three conditions and you drop to zero, you can die as a player character. For enemies, it's generally like once you're reduced to zero, you're, you're dead. This is the way we say it is you're taken out by the attacker's choice, right? The attacker gets to decide how you're taken out. So maybe you cower, maybe you run away, maybe you're knocked out. Your health levels are not just your physical sort of toughness, but also your emotional and mental well-being. So you can- Your narrative function in the story. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And during combat, you can make attacks with any skill. So you can like berate your enemies into- surrendering or feeling bad about what they're doing. You can very much play a nonviolent character and still resolve things in combat in Burn Bright. Yeah, that's excellent. So we're going to move here into kind of the broad general philosophizing portion of the interview. And it's much easier to do this, I found, with like titanic monsters that shake the very core of your being and your relationship course, with the world. But I love what you've set up with the blip here because you've offered a really excellent ability, but it, it comes with a lot of risk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you put a blip in the game as a designer, as a storyteller, what is a blip meant to do? A blip is meant for mischief. And that mischief could be the players can work with the blip to get into mischief, right? If if they can endear themselves to that blip, they can use that to cause mischief. They can use that to be more sneaky, do the things we think of as being tricksy. But it's also meant to make your players 
feel like the robbers in a home alone movie right because they're gonna want to interact with this blip they're gonna want to become friends with it players want to become friends with any creature they meet be it a brutal owlbear or an adorable blink dog right and so the same is true with the blip and watching them sort of you know try to uh, chase down the blip give it food interact with it is also going to be a lot of fun as the blip causes mischief so i think that's really their their role in the story is to uh, you know cause some mischief mischief and trickster gods have a long heritage in storytelling for good reasons so every time we get to this point in the interview there's a master's thesis waiting to be written in culture and anthropology but from your perspective what issues or questions do you want your players to grapple with when there's a blip in their ship yeah so i think the thing about the blip is it's the it's a monster quote unquote that because it causes a lot of mischief is going to cause some hopefully fun moments, but maybe some frustrating moments for your players and certainly frustrating for their characters, right? And I think the questions that you can grapple with would be one, like, what do we do with this thing, right? Like, it's it's adorable, and therefore, we don't want to go to our normal time to murder uh, sort of thing, right? Which is a good thing. It's good for players to grapple with that question. But then the other thing is when the blip is part of the team, I think one of the questions that they have to grapple with is like, when is it ethically okay to move through walls and break privacy right walls exist for reasons walls exist for our comfort for our safety for our privacy and so when is it right now that i can do this whenever i want walls are no longer a barrier when is it okay for me to do it and how do i get this creature who is an animal to know that like yeah just because you smell some delicious food in that room doesn't mean you can just walk right into my bedroom whenever you want right so i think there's there's fun to be had that way Burnbright asks you to take the leap into an expanding original universe where humanity is diverse and hope wins. And I'm so glad I got to share it with you as the final episode of Making a Monster Season 2. Burnbright is genuinely worth your time. Here's how to find out more about it. There's a lot of wonderful and weird creatures in Burnbright. The blip is the very tip of the iceberg. And like I said, if killer monsters are more your thing, we've got a lot of them too. So, you know, that's been really, really fun making these giant nishants, which are like space slug dragons that used to control the galaxy and stuff like that. So there's a lot of really, really cool stuff in Burnbright that people should check out. People can go to burnbright.com. Bright is spelled B-R-Y-T-E. Uh, and they can learn more there. And that's the, probably the best place to find it out, get links to the game and that sort of thing. There's already also several starter adventures. So if you want a lower cost to entry, check out Trapped at the Edge on the Roll20 Marketplace. It comes with pre-gens, everything you need to play, like a two to three hour game of Burnbright that will teach you the system is in there as well. So that's a good place to check out. And if you like D&D monsters, check out My Dad's Monster Manual. It's a monster book that I wrote with my dad. That's on the DM skills. <laughs> so I took all of the art in the monster manual and I showed it to my dad and I said to him, what do you think this creature does? What do you think? Where do you think it came from? What do you think its name is? And a bunch of other follow-up questions based on those. And then I took that and I rewrote the lore and stat block for about 80 <laughs> monsters in the monster manual based on his responses. And it's really great. It seems like it would be a walking dad joke, but they are 
play-tested creatures that you can use at your table and have a lot of fun with. Thanks for listening to Making a Monster for the past 30 episodes. It's been an incredible pleasure walking through the kaleidoscopic meaning of monsters in games with you. I'm taking a summer break, a planned one this time, to work on season three. So if you want to know more about when that season is going to launch and who's going to be involved, you can join the Making a Monster email list at scintilla.studio slash monster. When you do, you'll get a free preview of three monsters from my dad's monster manual. I picked the three most reminiscent of monsters from this show, the Morona, the Robley, and the Ello, and James pulled them out into a PDF copy that you can access by trusting me with your email address. I send out far fewer emails than I should, so I promise I won't waste your time, and you will get access to guest incentives from the show, including monster stat blocks, discount codes on adventures and supplements, even short stories and artwork from past guests. So check it out at the link in the show notes or on the show's website at scintilla.studio slash monster. That's S-C-I-N-T-I-L-L-A dot studio slash monster. If you want to continue learning about how even the cutest monsters can ask questions about privacy and ethics, consider supporting the show on Patreon. When you do, you'll get access to even more content from the show, like a bonus bit I just released from this episode on whether Burnbright has a hidden callback to the Eberron campaign setting. You'll also get music I recorded for the show, new bonus bits throughout the summer, and as always, they're stickers! Last episode, I had to go big. If supporting the show monetarily isn't an option for you, please share it with the people who play games with you. With 30 episodes in the books, there's a monster for everyone, and your recommendation lets people know they can trust me with their time and attention. And it's a real gift to me and the creators I feature. Thank you again for listening to Making a Monster. I will look forward to seeing you in Season 3.